0: Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is believe.
1: Welcome into the Seminole Rap podcast. I think for the first time in 2022, we've got we've got the full rap crew here. It's uh, your host Brian Peller and Juan Montalvo. John Marchant, all of us here, uh, ready to talk some football today. Welcome back, guys.
2: How's it going? We're back.
1: Yeah, good to be back. We uh, I, I branched out last week and left both of you out after we we spared around with uh, one of you, then the other. Then I just said both of you get out, and we talked baseball and basketball. I ruined the basketball season in the process, so... Let's just go back to much, football and bring everybody. Is there much together. to ruin
2: there? Or, I mean,
1: well, so John and I made fun of it because I declared when me and you came on John Juan, earlier in the
0: uh, in January.
1: I said the foot, you know, the football's over. We'll figure out something to talk about. Basketball is basically finished. Then when John and I got back on like two weeks later, they'd won six in a row since I declared the season over. Then I uh, I I jumped on with with Matt Minick, our our one of our basketball guys, and we talked hoops. And the next day, they decided. to uh, Shut the star down for the season, which we kind of briefly touched on, and and then uh, they've pretty much collapsed since. So we we stuck the fork in them in two different directions. We uplifted them for six six games, and then and then destroyed the year. So, yeah, I think it's just better to go back to football and, and what we know how to do. If that works for you guys,
2: yeah, I don't know basketball from I. I, I mean, first of all, I'm five foot six. I don't I don't belong anywhere near a <laughs> basketball
0: court.
1: <laughs> yeah. So uh, this week obviously helps out a little bit too, as we wait for, for spring ball to start uh, national sign or traditional national signing day comes and goes and uh, we did get the schedule. So I, I, I think we've got enough there to kind of keep us busy. And I think the big note for national signing day or traditional national signing day was Florida state really didn't do anything. Um, but I don't think that's really a problem. Their class does finish 20th overall If you go with the overall on two, four, seven, where they include transfers and high school recruits, they end up at 18, um, which I believe my quick math a second ago was third best in the conference. No fourth, best behind North Carolina, Clemson and Miami. Um, But overall, not bad. You're right there. Basically neck and neck with Florida. I think they left some room for potential transfers rest of spring. Any concern on them not bringing anybody in uh, on traditional signing day?
2: Not really. Um, I mean, obviously, you want to be in a position where you can land higher-rated guys, um, and most of them these days really are doing it on on the early signing day. Uh, we had obviously they whiffed on three, or f- three, four, five guys, I guess, if you depending on who you include in that. In that, I mean, shoot, you know, by by eleven thirty that morning, they had already lost West and Hunter, so <laughs> uh, they th- they got their whiffs out of the way on uh, on early signing day. Um, the only team that really had a huge amount of notable pickups on signing day was Texas A&M who took their class from, I think like from, you know, regular number one overall to the highest rated recruiting class of all time, which ended up with, ended up uh, featuring later that week or, or whenever it was uh, on signing day, I think uh, Jimbo Fisher going into a tirade about uh, yeah, you don't want me to talk about stuff that people are doing in recruiting. You know I mean? He was getting heated and it's funny uh but basically yeah we don't pay players uh and it's probably not uh incorrect in that sense i mean they don't directly pay players they have boosters who could literally give them millions of dollars if they wanted to and are doing in certain cases uh, that's millions with an m not a b we're out in succession here um
1: you'd but, be surprised with that a and m money
2: yeah seriously that oil money I mean, the uh, price of crude is up almost double this year or whatever. So uh, <laughs> I think it's a really good time to be a Texas A&M guy. Yeah.
1: I mean, we could stick there for a second if you want, obviously Jimbo and A&M bring in the greatest recruiting class in, in the history of college football recruiting per, per the metrics here.
2: Not um, to my- USC, not to Alabama, not to Clemson, not to Florida, not to Ohio state, not to any of these traditional powers. The Texas thing. I mean, shoot, you got to hand it to Jimbo. I mean, that's a hell of a pull.
1: Yeah, and and um, he said, you know, which was funny to me. And John, I'll throw this one to you. I don't know if you've even been to College Station. My sister's about to get married there later this year. Uh, She's an Aggie herself. But uh, the amount of time I've spent in College Station, I could not imagine picking to go to school there. Um, And Jimbo, his whole tirade was, you know, we're not paying players. But he also was saying, like, because Lane Kiffin, I was earlier in that week, was saying, I don't know how Texas AM is affording the players they've got without incurring the luxury tax. And so he was railing back to <laughs> Kiffin. basically, like, you know, uh, you know, you can't everyone's just mad because we're doing it, we're doing NIL better than them. But this isn't have anything to do with NIL. This is us putting in years of hard work on the phones. I I mean, message board rumors, which is what he was railing about, are saying that that these, you know, AM's got uh, trust funds set up for days for these kids to come in. Of course, you know, message board rumors are what they are. Um, but it's, a no, it's no surprise that all of a sudden AM jumps to the top the minute there's the ability to, to pay players, and we know am has got the deep pockets. But it, recruiting is what Jimbo does.
0: Um, yeah, absolutely. I, You know, from a purely uh, nonpartisan standpoint, I guess, I think that the decision Jimbo Fisher made to leave Florida State was a fantastic one for him. Um, I think he saw the writing on the wall in the future of the sport to a certain extent. It's just weird for me because I I mean, when I started following college football, Texas a and never been anything right. They, they've been a perennial. Right. Exactly. A perennial five to eight win team forever. Um, I've been to, I've never been to college station. I have been to Austin. Um, If I had been born in Texas, I could have definitely seen myself going there, but, and I'm not a big fan of the state of Texas in general, but I, I, Austin is amazing, but no, seriously, I, I think, um, I mean, the game has changed, right? The, the, this whole thing about NIL and stuff, it's just, it's not different than before. They're just being paid above the table now, in my opinion. And, um, but it added another layer to the sports arms race, right? You know, it's not just because now that it is above the table, you don't, you can't, you know, it's not, Hey, they're going 60 and a 50 or they're going 70 and a 60, 65 or whatever. This is as fast as you can go in plain sight, right? There's no one, no one cares anymore. There's no one to regulate it anymore. So um, cause the NCAA has basically ceded all authority in this matter. So, you know, whatever Jimbo says, it doesn't really, it doesn't really matter to me, but I do think um AM. Do we consider them a new power at this point? A powerhouse? I, I think so, right? How can you not? Especially going forward, only these schools that are like AM that have this kind of money, uh, they're the, going to be the big winners of the whole NIL era um, until there's something, whether congressional legislation or whatever replaces the NCAA, their power fight breaks away and they make their own constitution, whatever that looks like. I think this is the new future and it's it's here and it includes schools like AM. yeah john i think
2: you hit the nail on the head i mean they may not be considered a traditional power in any sense but i mean look he, he, jimbo's right to some degree you do land the top rated class by having one of the best staffs or recruiters doesn't hurt to have a huge fund
0: uh a slush <laughs> yeah. fund
2: out there where you can right. bring people in um yeah, I get his point that you know you don't want to demean the the work that his coaching staff and his, and you know the kids on the team have done to get those guys to to come to College Station. Uh, not that those visits weren't paid for, but um, you get my point. Uh, and I'm not talking official visits. I mean, you're you're talking probably six figures for most of those those top ten kids in that class that they got, um, or I, 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 the top ten kids in their class, not the top ten overall guys. But my favorite thing with this the whole Jumbo thing was him talking about uh bro bible the exact quote from jimbo was that uh, was something that the, the, the nil doesn't affect pretty at all this 30 million dollar thing is a joke they had this idea there's something some fund out there and it was written on a site called bro bible by a guy named sliced bread and all of a sudden the cult country it. and he was just you know getting really really feisty jimbo which is to be always fun i always enjoyed that that side of jimbo
1: i like that was that your fake jimbo that was pretty good
2: I didn't go full in. I mean, I could really talk like the West Virginia Jimbo if you really want to, but uh, that wasn't my, that wasn't my best one, but uh, yeah, I, I don't do a bad Jimbo. I've listened to quite a lot of that man, uh, over the years, with the Monday press conferences and all that.
1: Yeah. I liked it. I thought it was good. It had, it had the right amount of twang to it. I, I, but yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I, as someone, like I said, has been at college station enough. Austin makes uh, Austin looks like Shanghai compared to, to college station. It's, it's a you know, it's a four or five red light type town. And all of a sudden, you know, they're bringing in more more five stars in one class and they've brought it in the last 10 years. So, you know, I mean, I like, but like you said, what's the difference? It's NI, it's the NIL era. Does it change anything? And I know we wanted to have the deeper conversation. I think that's going to be coming up soon. And uh, hopefully we can get a, a good interview here coming up for you guys in the next few weeks talking about Florida State's role in that. Anything else you want? You know, I mean, like I said, I obviously we were, I think, more pleased in the last few weeks with their work in the transfer portal than in the actual high school recruiting. And I, I think for where Florida State is, that's that makes more sense than it is to just force in an extra kid or
0: two on, on what's left of a traditional day. Um, yeah, I mean, look, I still think, nothing's really changed my opinion, that the transfer portal is still something like a free agency. There's a little bit of, of luck involved, a little bit of a lottery. I do think, though, that Norvell, the more have time to think about it, Um, he's had more success than not in the portal, um, obviously. And I, I, so I think that's a good sign. I am a little disappointed with, with the class overall, um, just because it, it didn't quite meet what I thought. But again, I know that it raises the floor and the overall talent level of the program and that's what you want. So it's a step in the right direction. It's just going a little bit slower than, than what I had expected or, or the benchmark that I personally had set for the program. Um, but I don't think there's anything, like I said, to be upset about it's still moving, Florida State in the right direction. Um, Now, I know going into the season, right, we're talking about you got to get to a bowl game. I'm still at six wins. I know some people are saying they got to win seven or eight wins um, or Norvell's on the hot seat going into 2023, but um, I'm still just going to keep it as making a bowl game. But uh, so, like I said, I was a little disappointed, but I don't want people to think that, oh, you know, Norvell's doing a horrific job, like he needs to be fired. I think that's way too – it's off base and it's premature. And and, it, go ahead, Jim.
2: Uh, and I, I, I do want to agree with John there that, um, you know, the, the, where they are right now, it's not raising the floor of the program enough. Um, it's not, you know, you're getting some decent ceiling players and some decent four players, but you're not, you're not lifting the talent nearly enough. I mean, they're way down on talent behind uh, uh, Clemson for sure. They're still behind Miami and Florida by a significant margin. If you look at like the 24, 17 talent uh, uh, composites, And you know that's that's not going to change with this recruiting class. Um, The only way it's going to change significantly is in the next year. So it looks like it's going to be Miami and Florida coming back down the 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 ladder a little bit. So the the one thing I really wanted to talk about that we've seen the last few weeks, and uh, Brian, I'm sure you guys talked a little bit about it last week, but I wanted to talk to you and John about it. They've really reorganized a lot of the back end recruiting staff in the last month or so. Um, You know, you had the early signing day disaster. Uh, there's no mild way to put it. You you lost Tyler Hunter, uh, tra- Tyler Hunter, Travis Hunter, number one overall group to Jackson State to your most famous alumni of all time uh, in a very public way to a HCBU, which uh, HBCU or whatever um, that, that really has no business getting a top 250 player, let alone the number one overall player. Um, and you know, there were, there were murmurs that, that, uh, Norvell was really unhappy with his recruiting staff for how that day turned out. And they were sort of blindsided on a lot of them. I know for a fact they were on Hunter. Um, and so they didn't have as good Intel as they wanted. They didn't, you know, close obviously near as well as they need to. Um, but they brought in a few different guys. I mean, you have Derek Ray from, from Oregon state who came in, he was their director of player personnel, I believe. Um, you had Bruce Warwick move up within the program, to, I believe associate athletic director of and vice president of football or something to that effect. I forget the exact title. Uh, you had one or two other guys come in, but all four, three, four—I think—hires that they that they made in the last month have been a significant improvement. So in the last two months, you've seen basically since you know early December, um, you've seen okay, disaster on signing day, really good portal class in the month following that. And then in the last month or so, you've seen them revamp the recruiting aspect, the back end of the recruiting part of the operation. Um, some of the guys who have caught some heat from folks out there, the, you know, Eric Cantor, guys like that, on the, that are part of that recruiting staff, they still are there, it appears. Um, they haven't been pushed out or fired or encouraged to get other roles that we know of. Um, so those guys are still potential liabilities. But you have definitely beefed up that back end. And, you know, it's a good sign that, that, that you've got a coach who's willing to make changes and add, you know, capacity where it's clearly needed.
0: I mean, well, yeah, like I, a lot of people were upset that he didn't uh, move on from Dugans or even um, Odell, but uh, he did make changes. I mean, to your point. So it's not like Norvell didn't do anything after, you know, what was a disappointing National Signing Day or early signing day, I should say um, that. And again, that's where I'm kind of like, yeah, I'm a little bit disappointed, but it, they're still moving in the right direction. It's not, you can't say Norval's not doing anything. You can't say that he's um, flying blind back there, I guess. I mean, he's obviously identifying what he thinks are the issues um, and trying to address them. So, uh, you know, I, I don't really know what else to say. You know, I, I just, um, I, I would have thought he would have maybe been a little bit more thorough going through the staff, but maybe what he's hearing is it wasn't really the staff, the coaching staff uh, you know, on field guys, it was, it was the back end guys. So I, I can't, aspect, I, right. So I'm just saying is I can't, I can't second guess from where I'm sitting. Cause I, I just don't know.
2: The other aspect of those for two particular coaches, uh, both Dugans and and Odell Higgins are obviously, you know, alumni. Um, Odell is loved by both the fan base and, you know everybody at the Moore Center and all the key boosters. He's done. A, he's a guy that's planning to retire. He has been planning to retire. I don't think he intended to be here this deep into a third coach since since Bowden. Um, so yeah, I think uh, it, it, he's planning to retire. It's a matter of time. Uh, and I don't know that they were able to get that. They, I, I believe that they were looking at receiver coaches. I don't think they were able to really make it a move on a guy that they would actually consider to be a significant upgrade to the point where, you know, you'd want to move on from Dugans, who was out of contract, but they gave him a one year extension, from my understanding. So, yeah, it's not ideal to have those two guys still on the staff. Um, I don't think you were ever going to see both of them leave at the same time. It'd be a tough shift to move on two heralded uh coaches especially african-americans uh odell's a father figure to half the team that sort of thing so um moving both those guys at once wasn't going to happen uh but you know i don't think they got they they got the traction they wanted to to do anything about it
1: yeah i mean I, i i i my brief interactions with with both of them out at um I'm trying to remember what it was when, when they were doing those youth camps across the country, uh, Perry, our producer site runner went out and I went out the, their camp in Lakeland kind of North between Orlando and Tampa. And, and, you know, those guys, uh, especially Odell were, were, uh, you know, basically celebrities. It was, it was the, the, the people who, who, the, you know, even the dads as they were coming up, wanted to take pictures with. And, and um, you know, so I, I think that does add the element, makes it a little bit harder to, to rearrange. And maybe it's the type of thing where you just, let them make their own choice on on when their time is. If you can't find, uh, you know, a, a massive upgrade, but but like I think the whole thing still circled around John's point earlier, where if you're if you're Norvell, this becomes that make or break year for you, where you know maybe that decision can't, I don't know, maybe that decision is made above his head anyway, but you know I, I don't think he's in a spot where he can pull any punches. A- a- he's got to make sure that this this year lands at least in in that bowl game realm like we talked about i feel like he has to get this to six wins to continue um so i mean at that i I guess i don't really want to go through the whole schedule line by line but and go win loss win loss but just for where just i'll run through it so we're all on the same page where we're at um and we can pick out games we think maybe are, are the big ones to talk about you open up uh i guess it's week zero if we're still calling it that with duquesne at home It's the Sunday night, Labor Day weekend game against LSU in in New Orleans. You get your bye week at that point. It's the Friday night game at Louisville. Uh, The following week, it's Boston College and Wake Forest at home. Then it's at NC State, home with Clemson. Bye week, Georgia Tech at home, at Miami, at Syracuse. Then it's UL Lafayette. Uh, I'll I'll call them that because I want to. And then Florida, you finally get them at home after, after years and years now with the trips to Gainesville, Gainesville. I don't know why that sounded weird in my head, but anything in there that jumps out to you? I think obviously the two Friday games with the, with the uh, UF game moving to a Friday as well is probably a big talker there. Any, anything that jumps out in terms of, uh, just, just a game that maybe is, it looks a little different for you than you expect.
2: Well, the one that, uh, you know, that we're going to talk about probably in a little bit more detail, uh, in a minute is the Florida game. So yeah. we'll just set that aside for a moment. Um, but just, uh, I'm going to sort of flip the script on this a little bit. What do you guys think is the toughest game on the schedule? And what is the easiest non, you know, easiest real opponent? Uh, let's not include Duquesne or, or uh, your weaker out-of-conference teams there.
1: I think your, your toughest game is probably – I'm going to go with at NC State because um, it's sandwiched between Wake and Clemson. It's in the same. It's in a five-game run in that middle of October realm. I know we've talked about it before, where NC State's a tough place for them to go. Um, I I haven't seen it released yet, but I did see the the early tease teaser tweet I believe from Bill Connolly about the this year's S and P Plus rankings, and he uh, put a gif of NC State's flag on there, saying, "Oh boy." So I guess the expectation is they're going to be returning a lot of talent. If I'm guessing on what that tweet was saying. So I think that's a team that's going to be tough for them. Um, I don't know. I mean, I tough I want to say Georgia Tech because you're coming off a bye. You get a chance to regroup at that point. Maybe Syracuse, but you're on the road there. I, I'll go Georgia Tech as the one I think I think I would put closest to a rena win um of the real games.
2: What do you think, Jeff?
0: Um, I think the toughest game is still Clemson, uh, but I would put nc state right behind them i think that's obviously the toughest two game stretch of the season is at nc state and clemson um i think the easiest game is syracuse I, I i mean they've kind of slipped even further back from where they were before they're they're not very good right now um i don't know if dino even makes it to that game he, he probably <laughs> he probably i mean seriously uh which he had a really good year with them too and i thought i thought he was gonna there's just no consistency there with him um So, yeah, that's – I mean, I don't think Georgia Tech's going to be very good either, but for me, I think it's Syracuse. I just – until they prove otherwise, I know the gap closed a little bit with Clemson this year, but um, Uwe Anglele still – I mean, he's still a significant limiting factor for them, but he obviously – they worked with him as the season went on. He got a little bit better. Um, I think they got better at adjusting to who he was. If I'm being quite honest. Um, and they snapped off a bunch of wins. And then the town on their defense was still championship level last year. I don't know what it'll be for this coming year, but I still put Clemson as the toughest.
2: That's fair. Uh yeah, I'm gonna actually go with go with uh go with go with Brian's answers on this. Well, Brian's first answer for sure. NC State to me is the toughest place to play at the ACC, and that includes still Death Valley. Um I, I really do believe that. I mean, you know, when they're when they're rocking and going. That is a tough stadium. Um, you know, we've talked about it on the program before, but, you know, you have any anybody who's been on the sidelines, they'll tell you NC State is as tough as or, – or or tougher than the other two. I mean, you, you you need to look no further than Florida State and Clemson's track records, even when they're good in that stadium. I mean, Chris Winkie threw the six interception game that was famous back in 98, I believe. Uh, And it's just like – that is just – a kryptonite place for those guys to play. It's just always has been, and I think it's going to continue to be. And it's a terrible spot in schedule. Like you said, a sandwich between Wake and Clemson, which are both home games. Um, so you know, you've got to deal with with you know that. It's a sandwich game on the road at NC State. So yeah, that's that's probably my highest percentage loss just for all those factors. And I know those are generally soft factors, but like like Brian was alluding to, they bring back that and leary. Uh, they bring back a lot of really talented receivers. I saw that. I saw a receiver coach ranking this week that showed Dugan's top 10, and they barely had the NC State guy in the top 50. I was like, I don't know what cracked that person smoking, but um, I don't want it because it messes your brain up. Um, but, yeah, <laughs> I think uh, NC State is clearly the toughest spot on the schedule for me. Um, the easiest game, yeah, it's really Georgia Tech or Syracuse. uh. I don't want to say LSU because they look to be writing the ship a little bit. Um, the dance moves may not always pay off. Uh, Brian (laughs) Kelly, missed a Recruiter too, despite, uh, grinding on them. Uh, so we'll see, we'll see how that turns out. But, uh, I think, yeah, if I had to go into my head, I'd probably go keys.
1: Yeah. And, and I think when you look at this schedule overall, that my biggest concern is like, we talked about the, the, I know after last year, you don't want to put anything in a rent-a-win category, but I think you can do that with Duquesne. Um, if you want to put UL there, uh, Louisiana Lafayette, Raging Cajuns, they're a November 19th game for you. They've been very good in the last five years, obviously under Billy Napier, who's now Florida's coach.
2: Um, yeah, we played them on a Friday, actually, in, in the end of November, I believe. It's of the Louisiana game is.
1: Uh, I've got it as Saturday, the 19th, but reg- I mean, regardless you're, this, you're missing the point.
2: He brought half the staff, like 10 oh. transfers from the, to Florida or whatever the heck it is. Well, uh, it's well, Lafayette East. My,
1: my point for my point for UL is going to be the, 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 the main cog for them has been, well, last year, especially they won like eight, one possession games. So they weren't really the, the 12 win team that they were their quarterback. Who's been like, it like a six year senior, seventh year senior with COVID stuff is, is gone. So I, I know that they're one of the stronger group of five programs as of late, but I, I wouldn't be concerned there. The concern at game does give me the way the schedule lays out is you do get Florida the week after. And, and I have seen some drama out of Lafayette where the new coach who was Napier's offensive coordinator and some of the other members of staff were upset with Napier plucking so many players and coaches from the roster so maybe there's some, some animosity, bad blood there, but I, I, I would not be surprised if that's almost a, a, a practice squad game for Napier's team ahead of uh, the Florida State game because you know he's obviously got great ties with UL and they get to see your team six days before you face the actual coach. It's just something in, in the layout of the schedule that fell in an interesting way where you, you play – Uh, I guess the way you called it UL West. And then the week after you actually get your rival on Friday night of UL East. I like it. Uh, But, but there's no real, when you look top to bottom, I mean, like we mentioned, Georgia tech and Syracuse are probably the weaker ones, but I think every other game, um, which, you know, for, for better or for worse is, is a possible win or possible loss. I mean, you, you mentioned LSU who's, who's righted the ship and they've done it through a ton of transfers and um, they signed a really strong recruiting class and, Um, they're going to get a healthy starting quarterback back this year, assuming health there, but, uh, in Louisiana, new coach, I, I I don't think it's an easy one, but it's a one you could win. Um, at Louisville, we've seen Louisville look okay. At times, Boston college is bringing back a lot. Wake forest, NC state, Clemson, Miami, Florida. I mean, it's just a bunch of games where I feel like you fall in this clump of hopefully they bounced your way. And that's, I don't know if that's a fun spot to be in if you're Norvell, in a year that you, you kind of have to have it. I feel like you were, you were kind of crossing your fingers and hoping Louisville or Boston college or, or wake weren't going to be as good coming into this year to help you pad those numbers. I still think six, seven wins is attainable, but I've seen that, you know, I was reading a round table with Perry and them where they were talking about, I think eight and four, eight and four, eight and four. And I just, I still think eight and four has got to be your ceiling.
2: I, I think I agree. Um I actually did a, a, uh, relatively recently, I did a little windshare thing. Um, this was after all the transfers had come in and I uh, did a windshare on Tomahawk Nation's Discord. Uh, if you want information on that, we can get it to you. It, I believe we can probably have someone put it in the post. Uh, we'll, we'll see if uh, Perry can throw a link in there for us. Yeah. Um, but so, you know, the, 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 the survey that I did there Basically, the average came out to about six and a half, 6.7, 6.8 wins, which, you know, lead, leads, you know, your three most likely outcomes according to that are, are seven wins, six wins, then eight wins, I believe is what it finally worked out to. So you had a, uh, a, a fairly optimistic, I think, uh, group in there. Uh, mine came out to like 6.3, 6.4. Which you know that's fairly close, uh, but you're you're talking a team that six to eight wins is really you know short of a. I'm going to keep using this phrase I used on, on the last time I was on the podcast. Uh, you know Scott Frost, Frost uh, bad luck, disaster season. Um, yeah. You know lose lose ten close games by one or whatever. Um, barring that sort of outcome, six to eight wins is really what you need.
0: Yeah, and what
2: I, I expected
0: the schedule. Right. Yeah, I agree. Um I mean, honestly, I think the schedule for the first time in a long time, I'm actually pretty happy with it. I think it overall breaks the right way in a lot of places. Um, and sets FSU up to win, uh, go to a bowl game. Was it first time in four years? I think four. Yeah. Good lord. Um, yeah, so first time in four years. Uh so I expect them to get there. I mean, last year I said I think they win five, but I hope they win six. I think this year I'll go I, – I think they're going to win six. I hope they go seven. I do agree with you, though, Juan. I, I do think that eight wins will be more likely than five, barring a whole bunch of injury issues or, or some other kind of issues, what have you. But um, So I think they'll be okay. It, it'll be a season that you know they can't if it does break that way, they're not going to, you know, Norvell's guaranteed 2023. I think that'll be the make or break here for him. Yeah. I and agree. I think we've, we've talked about it before where it, all it really takes is, is a Jordan Travis
1: rolled ankle. And we're doing a totally different season, but assuming health, like you talked about, I, I, I think.
2: Hey, you already I, killed the basketball team. Don't do that to, <laughs> to football in
1: February. Do it, do it eight months before the year starts. But yeah, I mean, I, I think, I think you're right. I think six, five is less likely than eight. Um. But you know, I, I, I one I always go back to that makes me laugh is you know the ball ain't round. You know it can bounce any way it wants to just because it's it ain't round. It ain't gonna bounce perfectly where you expect it to. And if one if we're in that collection of ACC teams in the middle and everybody's got a puncher's chance, all it takes is one bounce the other way, and and you are at eight or maybe you know you are at five. I think five obviously is the line, right? He's got to get over six. But I think I do think this. A reasonable expectation is six, and if you can't get there, then then you, we've we've got a real conversation there.
2: I hope we don't get to that point of the conversation. I mean, right? Uh, I I can I can see where they could you know put together a good twenty twenty three recruiting class, and a bad season could you know scuttle the project, for lack of a better term, and and uh, Mike Norvell for that matter. But hopefully, we don't get to that point. Um, they really need to make a big bowl game for a multitude of reasons, none the least being recruiting, obviously. Uh, But, I mean, you know, it's been four years. I mean, we're we're on our third head coach, I guess, since our last ball game. Uh, I guess if you include Odell in that. So, uh, yeah, that's not ideal. Uh, You don't want another set of transition classes in there if you can avoid it at all possible. I mean, we've seen what that can do to a roster very quickly.
1: My my one question for you guys, and I want to just program-wise, patience-wise – I think if you look at the back post, like, I guess, post second buy, schedule, it's Georgia tech Miami at Miami at Syracuse UL. And then Florida. And we talked about Georgia tech, Syracuse, and UL, all kind of being in that realm of should be wins. Um, if you get to that first buy at three and four do you think the patience around the program exists? Because we saw it kind of – we saw the, the, the struggle week-to-week week last year. Obviously, the Jacksonville State was was the – was a much firmer blow than I think maybe a loss to Wake or a loss to North Carolina State would be. Um, but do you think the this, this program has the patience to go into a bye week at three and four and be able to hold – you know, collect itself and be like, look, we've got three wins that should get us to six. Let's go try and take care of our rivals, and maybe we do get to eight. And in a schedule that does set up for the possibility of reeling off five in a row at the end, if you want, but I can see being three and four in the bye week and it being, it being a frustrating, a frustrating year already when you've already really gone through the toughest part of your schedule.
0: Well, I mean like right off the top of my head, I'd say they'd go three and two during that stretch. Um, yeah. Which would put them at six and six in a bull win. but setting that, setting aside to answer your question, I, there's a lot of different dynamics at play here. Um, me personally, I, would probably classify myself as two online and online, they already want Norvell to be fired. Right. (laughs) But, but we consistently hear from a lot of the beat that the boosters understand, like, again, that was going back to Willie Taggers. One of the mistakes that he made, right. Was telling the boosters that Florida state was going to win and Norvell comes in, he tells them something close to the truth. I think they're going to only win X number of games this year, four or, or five or whatever the case may be. Um, and I think that's bought him some time. So we keep hearing from the beat that that he's being honest with the boosters and the boosters understand and they're willing to give him more time. Um, while, quote-unquote, online people may consider the fact that he's already on the hot seat. I don't agree with that. So if if you're going out of the second buy, like at three and four or whatever whatever you're saying was, I, I think um, – it's hard to say. I don't believe that the boosters um, would abandon him, especially if Norvell preseason was honest with them about how much the season is also going to struggle. Um, now, if he comes out and says, yeah, we're going to win eight games, right? And they're sitting at three and four going in that stretch where you could reasonably lose to Florida and Miami. That might be an issue. Is that enough to fire him? I, I don't know, especially if Florida State does go to a bowl game. I think this season for me is one where at the end, it, it's going to hinge on whether or not they make a bowl game. And I know, again, you got all this dynamic, all these different factors at play, all this other stuff. I think it really, I think that's the benchmark. He has to make it to a bowl game. If Florida State makes a bowl game, I think he's okay. That it would matter more in my opinion for 2023 than it does for this particular season. I'm not sure that, unless there's a complete collapse, right? Florida State only wins four or five games. I think Norvell's safe. I agree. Um, I
2: think you you put it really well that basically he's done a very, well, I don't even, I don't know if it's necessarily a great job, but he's done a much better job than Willie Taggart did of of setting expectations. Um, And what that's helped with the most is it prevents the cascading issue that uh, Willie Taggart ran into. Um, you know, he was, people were, or skeptical with that hire for many reasons, um, to begin with, and you got into year two and I mean, they looked terrible. You know, there was no discernible improvement. Um, and the biggest issue, it wasn't losing to Miami. It wasn't being a losing team. The biggest issue Willie Taggart had was the donors didn't fulfill their promises. Um, you know, that's how bad the program confidence had gotten it's people didn't want to actually pay what they had pledged and that happens you know i mean i think there's like a 10 to 20 percent rate normally is, is if i remember correctly um of unfulfilled pledges that they that they allow for you know financially um but it was like closer to 40 percent uh that at that time in in that season so it was financially untenable to keep Billy taggart i don't think you'll see that same effect because Norvell has done a much better job setting those expectations and uh you know other other reasons. I mean, it, the, the, they've had some good wins. I mean, obviously Jacksonville State losses, worst loss in the program history. Um, but you know, they they I think will give him a longer leash than than Taggart. Um Taggart, I mean, jumped into that leash and hung himself. So uh I mean he's like my dog trying to take him on a walk. He going try to rip his shoulder off with his neck. Uh, it's just, you know, Taggart did not set himself up for success and Norvell is setting, setting everybody up for, uh, for the mediocrity a little bit better than Taggart
1: did. I think that's fair, I you know, and, and I don't want to be painted uh, trying to paint this Debbie Downer because it's, as we talked about, it's, it's entirely possible they come through that stretch four and three or five and two and you're looking at a totally different year. Um, where that eight and four is possible. So I, you know, I was just curious on where we, where we thought they stood. I think with the roster where they have, I think that it is on the rise and um, I don't anticipate many important players leaving in in this upcoming stretch. I think they'll still be adding talent through spring and that gives them the ability to maybe be even better than, than we anticipate roster wise. Maybe not that won't make a full win or loss record change, but um, I, 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 just don't want to be Debbie down there. I think, you know, and rain on the parade. i still think the program's heading the right way. Just generally curious there. Uh, anything else you guys on the schedule, want to talk about, I guess, Florida, the big, the big one's Florida, right? Florida on a Friday now. Any, any, any any thoughts,
2: concerns? I, I want that to be an annual thing. Um, you know, we haven't seen it play out yet, but having the unique game time gives you exposure that you'd never get otherwise. Um, the a lot of high school football teams are done at that point so you're the only game on tv um you know they don't have school that week recruits or you know fans or whoever um so you've got a prime time spot on a unique night and so you're going to be on national tv whether that's abc or espn kids will be able to watch it and you have the opportunity to showcase the win over your rival um, and that's something that you know hopefully will be benefiting florida state this year um but you know, it, it it's beneficial for both programs to have that exposure. I think, uh, you know, you're going to get the entire West Coast is going to be watching that game because it'll be you know five five to eight PM or whatever over there. Um, so, yeah, I, I I think there's no downside to this. Um, you know, a lot of people obviously have, well, it, it messes with travel a little bit. I'm sure, but you know what? I mean, it's something that could really help the program long term. I believe I. I I'm firmly in favor of, of the Friday of starting a Friday tradition for that
0: game. I, I don't really have any issue with it. I, I saw a lot of people again, <laughs> online who who thought it was common bad. denominator there. Yeah. I, who thought it was bad. I, I really don't have an opinion one way or the other. Um, some people thought it might cost the uh, local businesses some money. Um. Again, it doesn't really bother me one way or the other. I don't think it's that big of an issue. I do think the risk-reward is worth it for Florida State based on where the program is right now. Um, so that's kind of where I'm sitting with it. It just it, – it doesn't move the needle enough for me to be like, oh, this is, you know, sacrilege or – I just – it doesn't <laughs> – John, I, I,
2: we need a hot take. you got to get something fresh out of the kitchen. Just go ham <laughs> on it.
0: Uh, they should put the UF game on Thanksgiving Day. How about that? Do it Thursday. Screw Egg the Cowboys! Already got it. Through the screw the Cowboys, they're they're horrible anyway. No one cares. Florida, Florida State, Thanksgiving. There's my. I mean, it,
2: it gives Lions fans something to do that's a little bit better too.
0: <laughs> Seriously, all those all those NFL games are terrible anyway. Just put college on. College is usually better anyway. That's that's
1: the uh, that's the spot the Egg Bowl is carved out the Miss the Ole Miss Mississippi State game is, is let's just go and be messy on Thanksgiving night and I'm I, sure it's plenty of fights always
2: always the sloppiest game and it's always so it's not even fun to watch half the time anymore no, it's disgusting <laughs> it's bad <laughs> it, it is really disgusting. I hope that that's not what the, the Friday thing turns into for Florida Florida State I don't think it is I don't think it will be but yeah let's not turn this into the Egg Bowl Part Two.
1: Well, i think the the, the big benefits especially I, and lSU used to do this a lot so they played arkansas on that Friday after and that has since uh died since we switched our rival to a m since they joined the conference but um i i really enjoyed it mostly because i mean I, it was mostly me growing up but um i'm you know 27 almost 28 now but you know I, I it was an excuse to not go to the mall with my mom on black friday and and go to the game or whatever the big complaint i heard so that might be great right for you guys with the uh, you know, with the wife, maybe no, oh, no, honey, the game's on. I can't go today, and that gives you a, a built-in excuse as long as you're capable of winning that argument. Um, but you know, I guess the big concern that I, that LSU I thought um, used to voice was was an issue getting students to go to that game because a lot of them were going home for Thanksgiving, um, which oftentimes just ended with them making that as an optional game on their on their season ticket package, and they just sold the extra space um, as regular tickets. And, and I never felt like the games were lightly attended. Uh, LSU and Arkansas was always a fun game. Obviously, this one is probably more of a rivalry, which makes it more fun. You're more likely to still have your your cousin who's a UF grad or, or just a Florida fan because he lives in the central part of the state. And, <laughs> you know, I think this this lends itself to just being more fun and allows you to do more fun things where you're, you're as a fan, have to be fun with it. And if you're a program, like you said, you get a primetime position to – play an important game with your rival and hell. I mean, even if you're five and six going to this game, like last year, it's a prime time spot to do that drunken game where you both are bludgeoning each other over the head, as opposed to a noon kick where it's a Saturday and maybe, you know, eh, we don't feel like getting up, whatever you can, you can almost guarantee yourself a prime time spot on this Friday.
0: Yeah. So. It's uh it's a bigger platform to be disgusting let's just
1: (laughs) (laughs) help gross you out from those thanksgiving leftovers quicker
0: well you know like it's either be part of just all the wash of rivalry saturday you're just another rivalry game in the midst of all this just i don't know whatever you know what i'm trying to say yeah then you get to stand alone as like the just a solitary can of garbage just all by yourself beaming in the sunshine right yeah no well i think no actually i think look I'm, I'm kidding but i think it's great um i don't see any issue with it like i said i think it, the risk reward is more than worth it for florida state you beat florida prime time right now where, where you are to program that gives you a ton of momentum going into early signing day right so i mean, what do you have what do you really have to lose right so yeah and I mean, look,
1: I, you know, we jo- you joked about it being the beaming trash can out in the open by itself. But I mean, that's what the Egg Bowl is. I mean, you know, I remember, was it Elijah Moore peeing in the end, pretending to be a dog peeing in the end zone that cost them the, <laughs> <laughs> like, if that happens on, or on a regular Saturday at noon, you know, it's kind of like, haha, I saw it on Twitter. But everyone, you know, college football, and Twitter had a great time together laughing at a guy pretending to be a dog costing his team a game.
2: That's the beauty of college football. I mean, Florida, Dan Mullen's tenure at Florida effectively ended when the dude threw the shoe uh, <laughs> against LSU that one year. I mean, it, it's just, you don't hear stuff like that at the NFL. Like, okay, Antonio Brown took a shirt off and put in the middle of the game.
0: That's, That's ridiculous.
2: ridiculous. It's a selfish, dumb kid thing. Um, and he's not even one of the kids. In college football, you got a kid losing the game by pissing. <laughs> um, so uh, it's just, or losing your programs trajectory by throwing a shoe it's just a different type of sport and you know we certainly don't watch it because the play is you know lights out better it's because it's more fun and part of that is the pageantry it's the the rivalries the tradition like okay great the cowboys are playing the steelers or wherever the hell their rivals are or the eagles or whatever but great so what's going to happen it's not that exciting the cowboys are going to lose it's thanksgiving anyway um and you know the beauty of college football is those rivalry games. You know, I mean, the two thousand three game, the Swindle of the Swamp—that is what the Gators call it. The Chris Ricks PK Sam throw, where the the, the German Shepherd, the, the the I think the Alachua County sheriff's officer was holding, and very very loosely to sort of let him get at PK Sam. Uh, you had like a dog nearly attack the dude after winning, scoring the winning touchdown in the game, like. The stuff that happens in college football is just so much more entertaining for me. It's just a different game.
0: Absolutely,
1: yeah. Purely try let it, it. Let's make it. Let's make it shine. Let's let it be our ugly thing. Where Brian Kelly's grinding on players.
2: Throw all the lighter fluid on that dumpster and light it up,
0: baby. <laughs> it's our like, dumpster fire. Like no one could right. ever imagine Jason Garrett grinding on a player, right? Or yeah, well, <laughs> like. It's only college football. I mean, the, the shenanigans, it's just, there's nothing else like it. So.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, in like we talked about it, we briefly mentioned it, the kids end up that, that, kid ended up going to Alabama instead of LSU anyway, but then they ended up getting the number one linebacker in the country who said, yeah, I saw the video and, and it made me realize, you know, Hey, coach, coach Kelly. I was like, I was there. Coach Kelly was kind of fun. I thought he was a stiff, you know, bored and he's actually kind of fun, which in reality was probably NIL. But hey, you know, I guess whatever. Uh, you know, I, and like I All said, right, I think before, bread. yeah, sliced bread, bro, Bible. Uh, you know, so I think we'll get into that. Was my limited fake Jim Jimbo Fisher. Uh, so you know, we'll we'll get it. I think I think we'll have that nil conversation coming up here in the next couple of weeks. I know we've, we're trying to get a, an interview to talk about Florida State's nil future and a lot more around the program here coming up. So. I think we've got a lot of good stuff hopefully coming the rest of this month to, uh, get you some fun episodes as, as we still wait for for spring ball to start and really, uh, dive into the team itself. But
2: I guess for now, I I think we've got a few good guests lined up, uh, that we're planning. We're not going to ask them yet. Uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson's going to be joining us. Uh, (laughs) Jason Garrett said he, he'd give me a text or a call. Um, no, but uh, we are we are working to see which of the coaches we can get for the podcast, uh, which of the you know staff folks we've had uh, Mike Alford on other other parts of the Tomahawk Nation media sphere, so to speak. Yeah, uh, we're
1: working we're working on trying to make line up our schedules with with him for for potentially talking with him here as well.
2: Yep. So we we'll, we'll, we hope to have him on soon as well. Some some uh, of the coaching staff um and then other folks the program you know the the we had Kenyatta watson i believe on triple option for the three stars i forget which program so, so we're, you know, you know we're we don't trying have those guys you can check them out on the other time off nation media
0: i, okay, I think well,
2: i mean I think
1: all of us are uh, all of us are hustling to fill the time slots and, and get you guys something fun
2: well i'll tell you what marvin jones doesn't return my texts but <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll retract <laughs> that if he finally does uh one more thing before we call the wrap though, we need to get at maybe the beginning of every episode now Perry's got to play that like five second clip from Jimbo, like a guy on a site called Bro Bible, some About guy, guy named Slice, Slice Uh I mean, just that's got to be at the front of every episode now because that's called that's the best of college football right there.
0: Can we get John's impression? No, sorry, but I agree uh, with one. I agree with one. I will give my last word to. Um, I don't. I don't care what recruiting class Jimbo Fisher gets. The West still runs through Nick Saban until he decides to retire. I know I'm known for like all the hot takes, but you know.
2: <laughs> <laughs> you no, I agree. A there. <laughs> I
1: gotta see I gotta see Jimbo win something at AM before I take them seriously. They just I mean they just they have that that, that knack for falling on their face. <laughs> here's
0: here's to nine and three.
2: Ooh, that's the best thing ever. Slice bro. All
0: right. That's that's a wrap.
2: Site called bro Bible by a guy named Slice bread
0: for the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early. So everyone can go home on time. There's Granger
2: offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts. So you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus,